Hello, welcome to Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Waiminga, and on this program I take you on a Canadian art tour, starting here on Amherst Island and going beyond. Every episode we visit a different studio and talk to artists and artisans about their work, their beginnings, and more. We'll update cjai.ca slash studio stories with images of or links to our guests' work and sites, so be sure to take a look. I'm here today with Rainy Taukid, an artist among other things, which we will get into. How are you, Rainy? I'm doing well, thanks. Rainy's just taking me on a tour of her paint factory, which was fascinating, and, uh, and of her shop on Princess Street in Kingston. There are a few pans in the fire, so tell us about everything you got going on. There are, it's true, although I kind of only have half a pan in many fires because I'm at a point in my life now where I'm doing little things here and there. So I'm primarily a painter and a writer and I'm an educator as well. And I oversee the, um, our studio at the store at Art Noise. So we have a, an education program. We have all sorts of different uh, workshops and classes going on that I'm the coordinator for all of that. And I do materials consulting at TriArt, our paint factory, and I do publicity and marketing there as well with a team of other people. And I just do a lot of different little things. So it's kind of hard to say what it is that I do all the time. But, you know, I'm also a homemaker and, you know, a downtown Kingston person. Right. I don't know what that means. That's not something that I do. It's just something that I am. <laughs> yeah. And have been for many, many years. And have been for many, many years. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, actually, that, as you were taking me on the tour and we were going here and there and to the shop and blah, 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 I was thinking, I wonder what Rainey's typical kind of work day looks like. But there isn't one, is there? No, there isn't. That's kind of true because I, you know, when people try to pin me down and say, okay, where are you going to be when, it's kind of hard for me to say. I do spend a lot of time actually on the computer because I'm doing emails and consulting and communicating with people on many different fronts. Um, but I also spend time in the store and I spend time at the factory. And, um, and sometimes I go on location and do workshops or product training. So we'll go, for example, um, we sell our paint to a lot of different retailers, not just in Canada, but all over. But um, in Canada, I will go to different stores and do product training with their staff. Right? So if it's, you know, Omer de Serres, they've got, I think, 37 stores now. Or Curry's, who have several stores and, you know, things like that. So do a lot of staffed product training. Right. Maybe the book. So um, I just finished work on my third book, which is called... Let's see if I get the title right. <laughs> Acrylic painting mediums and methods. Uh, all my books have similar titles. Right. So, and I don't choose the title, so I will have to go with what the publishing company wants. Right. Um, so this one is about acrylic paint materials, primarily acrylic mediums, and how they work with the whole painting process. So it's, it's very much a reference book, but there's a lot of beautiful images in it. So a lot of Canadian painters and international painters are featured in it. Most of the stuff that I've put in it is all more of an example of a process or a technique right. or, um, or just showing the differences between different materials. So, so much of the painting that I do is that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, so what is it like when it comes out of the jar? What is it like when you mix it with color? What is it like when you layer it with another medium? So, 
And those things eventually become paintings because I got to paint them on something, mm -hmm. right? And most of my paintings um, these days are very abstract in nature, so it works for what I'm doing. Yeah, it really does work. I have to say yeah. that <laughs> we walked around the gallery uh, room downstairs in the shop and you kind of gave it as a caveat as like, this is how I, you know, show how to work with the products, but they are beautiful pieces of art. You know, oh, thanks. It's not, there's no caveat needed. <laughs> well, I find that if I um, do this one simple thing, which is uh, create a horizon line, it becomes an abstracted landscape. And then that sort of helps anchor this abstract process and this abstract sort of like visual output in a way that makes it a little bit more cohesive and less chaotic looking because there's so many different things that I'm trying to do. Sometimes I find that some of my best paintings come out of experiments or visual explanations. When I'm explaining something to someone, they're like, well, what happens if you do this? I'll say, well, why don't I just do it right now? And then, you know, because I'm not thinking about it, I'm not spending all this time sort of, you know, agonizing over the details of, you know, what I'm going to do next. I'm just doing as I'm teaching. There's so much more spontaneity and it's more instinctual. Yes. Is what I mean. Yeah. Right. And how so, do you, how do you feel about that process? Like, is it? Oh, I love it. I mean, the nature of abstraction, you know, it's, it, it can be so difficult sometimes to start. So I've, I, I have a lot of love for, uh, for color field paintings, but in my youth, I used to do things that were a lot more realistic and it took me a long time to break out of that. And now that I have broken out of that, I can't actually go back the other way. So I really like doing abstracted work instead of having sort of a visual anchor that's more recognizable. It's all about color and texture. So much less about form, but color, texture, and, um, and the layers that can be achieved with acrylic paints. So let's go back. How yeah. did you start <laughs> in the art field? Let's start with art. Okay. Well, that's easy. It was the only thing I ever did. It was always the main focus of my world. You know, from the time I was a little kid, you know, I didn't really do anything else other than read a lot. I drew a lot. Everything was a creative endeavor, I suppose. And I started off my post-secondary education in fine art, but I didn't love the program that I was in and I wasn't in really in the right space for it. So I, I dabbled in a lot of other things. So I was one of those, you know, in university, I was like, okay, well this year I'm in fine art. And then the next year I was in art history. And then the next year I dropped out and was doing fashion design. Yeah. So I ended up with a drama degree. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was the one through, that was the one thing that I sort of carried through all of my years in high school and all of my years in university that I just sort of kept doing because I liked it. But it was never something that I seriously thought of having a career in. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while to get back to fine art afterwards. And how did that come about? It was just something that just sort of gradually happened. I just got back into it and then eventually started teaching youth art classes and, yeah, and that led to other arty things. Right. Yeah. So I guess I'm more of a, an art educator than I am a professional artist because I've never really pursued that side of things. I've never, you know, tried to get my work into a gallery or, um, sort of gone into the whole sort of formal fine art thing, which isn't to say that it won't happen, but it's not something I'm actively pursuing. Right. I just like doing it and the process. Yeah. And I'm immersed in a world where it's all around me, mm -hmm. but I'm much more materials oriented than I am the formal aspects of visual art. I don't think too deeply about what it is that I'm trying to 
portray. I think much more deeply about the materials that I'm using to create my art with. So I guess I'm more of a maker right. than I am uh, an artist. I guess that's a way to explain it. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so speaking of the materials, what is your major role in Tri-Art Acrylic? So much of what I do is, I don't really want to call it marketing because it's, it's not marketing. It, it is very much uh, of a consultant type of role. I've been doing outreach with our customers for years and troubleshooting and product testing. So there's a lot of internal little things that happen when you're developing product, especially for the artist market, because it's, it's, not, it's not cut and dried because you never know how people are going to be using your product. It's not like, you know, like a car part, you know, it goes in a car and that's its job. Painters will do all sorts of weird things with their paint. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll mix it with different stuff. They'll apply it to different types of surfaces. So, so there's a lot of information that has to be accumulated in order to make sure that we're putting the right information on our product and making sure we're doing all the right tests for it. So I have a, I have a hand in that. We, uh, we used to do a lot more events like a lot more trade shows. We don't do as many now, simply because we're already fairly well established in the business and trade shows aren't really the way to go anymore with, uh, with art materials because so many manufacturers are being bought out by larger manufacturers. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's fewer and fewer small you know, manufacturers like we are. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it hasn't really made that much of a difference in, in our sales or anything like that. But that was an aspect that I used to be heavily involved in. I organized all of our show stuff, our booths, our travel, a lot of the visuals. I used to do a lot of the writing for the products. So if, what information do we put on this label? What information goes on our color charts? Product training, product development. Now it's all little things, and I do I do sort of more for the store now than I do for the factory because right. the store needs to have this education program along with it. So, what are your first two books? The first one is called The New Acrylics. The second one called um, the New Acrylics Essential Source Book. So, the first one is about it's a general overview about how to use acrylic paints. Mm -hmm. So, it's not how to paint a portrait with acrylics right. or how to right. do a landscape with acrylics. It's like, what is this stuff? How does it work? How do I bend it to my will? Mm -hmm. It's about supports, it's about tools, and it's about how this stuff behaves being manipulated in various ways. Right. So very much like a beginner's book. And it, it sold very well. It's, it's still selling, but it sold primarily very well in schools, sort of post-secondary art schools, and also in art supply stores. Yeah, um, so I'm above ground. Yeah, True. yeah, it's in places like that yeah. for sure. Then that came out in 2005 and the second book came out in 2009 and my editor at the time called it the master class. So it's mm. similar to the first book, but it's got a lot more technical, technical information, just a lot more content. The first one had a lot more pretty pictures, second oh, okay. one a lot more words. Right. <laughs> but that one is out of print, that one is no longer available except through TriArt because we, we bought the remainder. So we have, we have copies of it. They, um, the publishers gave it the same title yeah. as the first book. Yeah, I saw that. So most people assumed it was a, a new edition. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, so sales kind of tanked. Right. It was too bad. People think that authors have a lot more control over certain things. Yeah. So not true. So not true. So not true. Yeah, and also, you know, they don't pay me to go on book tours or anything like that. That's right. also the other, I'm not, Stephen King or J.K. Rowling, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and the first two books were published by uh, Watson Guptill, which is now owned by Random House. 
but they were initially owned by uh, a Dutch company. So both those books were translated into Dutch. I saw that. And then the first book was also translated into German. So we'll see what happens with this one. I don't know. Now, who's, this, who's the publisher? The publisher is Monticelli Press. Okay. which is New York based, but they're a much smaller imprint, mm -hmm. but they do a lot of, um, they've just started doing fine art books, but they were, they're primarily known for um, doing architectural books. Oh, interesting. And interior design book and things like that. Right. So this one's gonna be a different sort of book. This one's hardcover, more pages, a little bit more expensive, you know, shinier. <laughs> <laughs> and are they sort of more coffee table book kind of publisher or? Yeah. Right. They are, but but yeah. they but they are starting now with with art instruction right. books. So this, yeah. um, this my new... editor used to be with Watson Guptill. So when she um, got hired on by the Monticelli Press, she gave me a call and said, "Hey, do you want to do a book?" This Four years later, I have own. a book. It's amazing how long that takes from start to finish the process. So talk to me a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> from contract signing to project delivery. That was about one year, but there's all the preliminary stuff that goes on first. So just to get to the contract stage, there's initially deciding on what the book is going to be about. And that took, that took about a year, year and a half, you know, going back and forth with different ideas and convincing sales teams of what I thought was a good idea or what my editor thought was a good idea. And, and then, then there's all the proposal stuff. So sending different proposals. So I came up with a proposal for two different books. So you need to do sample chapters, sample photographs, um, table of contents, all that stuff, right. and then do all the back research. How does this compare to books that are already out there? On this? Yeah. yeah. And where does this fit? And why is this an opportune time to do this kind of book? So there's a lot of work that goes into that part. And then there's a lot of waiting for them to say, yes, no, maybe, let's change this. Right. You know, getting to the contract stage, that took a little over two years. I had no idea. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the writing and the photography. So I worked with two different photographers. I worked with Jonathan Sugarman, who did the photographs for my first two books, and Connie Morris, who we worked with at the factory. And we probably shot probably over 8,000 photographs for this and submitted about 800 photographs. Whoa. You know, about 40,000 words of text. And then, and then the editing process, which mm -hmm. that was six or seven months. Right. Going back and forth, editors, designers, proofreaders, that sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. I know Jonathan Sugarman's work. Hmm. He's a photographer, but he used to own House of Sounds years ago. That's funny. And um, Where and I bought my first speakers. Yeah. <laughs> Where a lot of people probably bought their first speakers. Yeah. And he teaches at St. Lawrence College. Cool. He's in the graphic design department. I think he has work down at Meraki Art Annex. Yes, and, mm. and so does his wife, Babby yes. Sugarman. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and I'm totally jumping all over the place, I know. When we were doing the factory tour, it made me laugh that you have a actually labeled line of paints that are called Tri-Art Oops. Yes. Talk to me about Tri-Art Oops. I love the Oops line because it's, it's sort of our way of giving back to the community. So we always have paint that for some reason or other we can't sell. So either it's too old, too thick, too thin, it's got bits in it, it's the wrong color, things like that. It's never anything like really horrible. It's not moldy paint or completely dried paint. Right. It's paint that's, there's, there's something is a little bit off. Like for example, we had this huge batch, like a full skid of fluorescent magenta. 
which is like hot fluorescent pink, yeah. where the the pigment wasn't completely ground. So it had little chunks that actually were big enough to fit through our filters. They were still very, very small, mm -hmm. but if you really, if you thinned it out, then you would see these, um, these little chunks of, uh, of pigment. So I have a lot of pink in my paintings right now. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we don't, we don't sell this paint and we give it away to people who need it, who can't generally afford it. Mm -hmm. So that ends up being primarily schools you know that don't have a budget for art materials uh, places like the mess which are uh, in St Andrews Church so they they basically do you know community art education for people who can't afford it and everything that they have is donated to them that is awesome yeah so we we give them a lot of stuff sort of our mandate is to give to local community youth basically where where it's needed and uh, where it's going to do the most good we don't like empty donations. I don't like just giving things for the sake of giving mm -hmm. things. I like to give it where I know for sure it's actually going to be used and it's not just going to get thrown in the garbage and go to the landfill. So we've reached out to all the school boards and, uh, and different school camps and, and things like that. Um, all Anything that's not for profit. Excellent. Yeah. That's but cool. we're always generating oops because sometimes oops isn't just paint that's got something wrong with it. Sometimes it's our leftovers. I showed you how we keep retains of every batch of paint that we make. Yep. But we also have smaller retains that are the ones that go through the freeze-thaw testing and the antibacterial gel tests. Yep. So those are paints that have had things done to them mm -hmm. so that they can't actually go on the shelf because they've, been, they've gone through this like accelerated drying or accelerated freezing. So um, they're usually perfectly fine, but we have a lot of them and they're usually in like a little 60 mil or 37 mil and we, yeah. have, and we generate those every single day. We always have, so we always have little oops. That's cool. Something that we do. We try to have as little waste as possible coming out of our factory. And you know, this is a way to make it useful. Excellent, okay. We are just gonna take a quick break for our sponsor and be okay. back with Rainy Tow Kid. <laughs> now, quick word from our sponsor. Studio Stories is brought to you by Lens Lids, handmade hats and fiber art, as well as fun and functional merino wool hats. Lens Lids makes tea and coffee cozies and adorable needle felted ornaments. Find us online at lenslids.com, that's L-Y-N-N-S-L-I-D-S, on social media at, at lenslids, and the studio on Amherst Island is open by appointment. Drop an email to lenslids at gmail.com or call or text 343-989-1550. Now, back to our program. If you're just joining us here on Amherst Island Radio at 92.1 FM, this is Studio Stories and I'm your host, Lynn Waiminga, and we are here today with artist Rainy Taukid. Rainy, my next question to you is about teaching. What, what is your favorite thing to teach? My favorite thing to teach is, hey, check out these materials. Here's the fun things you can do with them. The fun things you can do? Yeah. I don't like things to be specifically about outcome. Right. So, you know, workshops where people are expecting to have this masterpiece mm. or this thing that they are will even like at the end of the workshop, that's not really a realistic with the process that, that I use because I'm I'm so much more about understanding the material. So if you come out of it understanding the materials that you're using and the tools that you're using, then that's amazing. You may not like anything that you've actually produced, but you will have learned something. So 
Yeah, so I guess it's not sort of end game based in terms of having a painting that's wow, you know. So I guess that's that's the kind of thing I like to teach more than something that is really specific. And that can be difficult sometimes because it's it's fairly ambiguous, mm -hmm. especially if people don't come in with an idea of of what it is that they want to accomplish and if they're not as comfortable with more spontaneous learning. I am doing a workshop on Amherst Island at the Lodge in May that I'm really excited about. And it is somewhat subject-based in terms of what we're going to be exploring, but it's going to be fairly loose in interpretation. So it's, it's an abstracted landscape workshop that's going to be dealing with you know, the, the three aspects that you see on the island, which is the, the sky, the land, the water, and how that works. In, in a composition, but how we can interpret it with different materials. And it's a two-day workshop. So going back, I have to say that that's kind of my favorite thing to teach, is a workshop that takes more than one day because acrylics take more than one day to, to be absorbed and to be understood because there's so much drawing in between the layers that has to be accomplished. And that's when the real beauty of the material comes out is when you actually give it that time to, to gain depth and produce textures and being able to lay, you know, glaze over glaze over glaze. And it's not right. something you can just do in an afternoon. You yeah. really need to give it, you know, several hours and overnight to dry to get the best results. I don't always love teaching, but I love the process of learning with people and experiencing things with people. It's, I, I never set out to be a teacher, but I do like to impart knowledge. So anything else you want to tell us about the workshop that you're going to do in a month or so? Uh, it is May 12th, 13th. Uh, it's uh, like two full days at the lodge. Like I said, it's abstracted landscape. It's uh, $250 a person and it includes absolutely everything except for accommodations and food. <laughs> happily, the back kitchen will be open by then. I'm yes. pretty sure they open that yeah. weekend or before. And so. the lodge will have food as well. Yeah. So. I will be bringing all the paints, all so all it's all going to be liquid acrylic paints at our finest quality line and triart mediums, a whole bunch of them, and I'll be bringing all the supports. So that'll be canvases and and birch panels and paper and brushes and all other things. So the only thing that people need to bring is uh, a smock <laughs> <laughs> or an apron right. or clothes that they don't mind getting paint on, right. um, and that's it. So there's no particular skill necessary. I do recommend that you have some painting experience if you're going to be taking this workshop, just so that everybody can get the same out of it. Um, but I don't have to uh, sort of talk about the, the real fundamentals of painting. I need people to have, you know, a basic foundation and having mixed colors and applied paint to a surface, right? That sort of thing. So I'm not asking a lot, really. <laughs> when you're working, do you have tools that are your favorite sort of tools? Yes. I really like long rulers. I work with a lot of very thick applications of, of paint using gel medium, which is acrylic paint that doesn't have pigment in it. So it just, it carries paint. And so I tint that very lightly. And, um, and sometimes I'll use, you know, up to like a gallon at a time on a painting, but then I want to spread it out over the whole painting. And how do you do that? Right. Use long rulers. So whenever I go to, you know, hardware See, stores, yeah. I'm like, 
Get your yardstick, meter stick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So spreading tools of any sort. I'm always looking, you know, in like the drywall department and measuring department and things like that and looking for big spreading tools. I have a lot of them in my studio. Right. And uh, don't usually use brushes very much. Yeah, Squeegees I noticed that. Are great. In yeah. your studio, first thing I noticed was uh, all the surfaces were flat. There were not easels standing up. Nope. nope. Because your work <laughs> is sort of spread and poured. and Yes. Yeah and flung and yeah. yeah so just a lot of flat things right and talk to me about your studio because it's the, <laughs> in the middle of a factory not yes. the middle of but well I like to be I find that and you you'll know this too as a maker a lot of the work that you do is is solitary right so um, I used to have my studio here at home and I hated it because it was like me alone during the day and there wasn't that much going on. So I really like to be in, in a busy place where there's other it. stuff going on, but nobody is, you know, in my particular space. Nobody's in my studio with me. So that's necessary. But, you know, if I've got the door open, there's all the hustle and bustle that is going on in the factory. There's all this activity, this productivity that's going on. And I'm, and I'm inspired by that. And I'm inspired by the materials that are being made around me. And yeah. you can just go down and... I can just go down and just see get what's whatever on the I oops want. Shelf and see what's on the oops shelf. Yes, I primarily use oops paints. <laughs> I, I try not to take stuff that's um, for sale. Yeah. So I always have the slightly dodgy paints. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff with, you know, a little bit of dust in it, a little bit of particulate. Yeah. A little bit of, um, well, you saw that in my studio. There's some, a lot of containers of paint that have a question mark on them. Not really sure what this is but I'll just put it on my painting just, anyway. Just do it. Just go yeah. for it. Speaking of just go for it, I like to ask people what advice, if any, either is there a great piece of advice that you have received or is there advice you have for people who are starting out with art and acrylic painting or... If I were to give advice, it would be get to know your materials. Just like if you're a chef, you need to know what you're cooking with. You need mm -hmm. to understand your ingredients. Because if you don't understand your ingredients, how can you use them to their full potential? And often when people are working with an art material that they are unfamiliar with, they don't explore it as fully as they should because they're trying to get something to look a certain way rather than first understanding how the, the material behaves under different circumstances with different tools mixed with different things so they're not really looking at that so much as what they want their outcome to be mm -hmm. so i think there's there's a lot more research that needs to be made into the specific materials that you're using before you start using it to you know paint a specific picture right you know see how that material behaves that's Excellent. i think the advice that i would give no your materials if people want to come and see any of your work uh come to art noise there's usually a piece or 10 hanging around right now there's a a small show of works at art noise i don't know how long i'm going to keep it up there but it is there for a while most of the pieces that are in the um the larger gallery at art noise are pieces that were done um while i was working on this book and most of them are unfinished they're pieces that are in flux, I guess. I don't know what I'm doing with them next, but... Are you waiting? Are you waiting until you, like, will will inspiration come and you're going, and just take this one over to the yeah. studio? Well, there's that, but I'm also waiting for better weather. 
because most of them don't fit in my car, so they have to go <laughs> on my car. So acrylic paint gets very hard in cold temperatures. Yeah. So if I transport them on my roof rack, which I'm prone to doing, um, they could crack yeah. in, in sort of like at zero temperatures. So I have to wait for it to get a little bit warmer and not be raining or snowing. Mm -hmm. And then I can bring things back to my studio. But I'm also waiting for inspiration to hit. Right. I may just, you know, bring one of them upstairs here to my second kitchen and work on it there or work on the work in the classroom at the store. But the classroom at the store is very busy with workshops, so I can't usually stay there for long. Yeah, I had a look at all the workshops that are coming down the pipe. It's uh, they're nice. I even <laughs> signed up for one. All right. Yeah. Excellent. There's yeah. a lot of workshops and we're going to be doing a summer camp too. Cool. Why don't you let people know where they can find you? I can go to my website, which is um, rainytavid.com, and that's pretty much where my stuff is. Yeah. I'm also on Instagram. I don't post very often. When's the book coming out? The book comes out June 26th. We will have some samples of Rainy's work on the website at cji.ca slash studio stories and uh, links to Rainy's website as well. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Lynn. I really this appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> the tour was awesome. And yeah, thank you for uh, having me all and, over the place. And thanks for doing this. Yeah, that's great. It's fun. Thanks so much, listeners, for joining us. This has been Studio Stories, and we've been talking to painter, author, and art educator Rainy Taukid. Visit our program page at cjai.ca slash studio stories for information, links, and artist images. Tune in next time when we visit Islander and artist Susan Friesen.